make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Welcome, everybody. I'm Kaya Alexander, the host of Entertainment Business Wisdom, with a very special guest today, Karina Manischel. Let me tell you about her. She's so cool, and you're going to get to learn a lot from her today. She is the president of Mad Solar, having begun her career in the mailroom at William Morris Endeavor, where she became a talent agent. Manischel represented notable clients, including Scott Miscuti, known by his stage name Kid Cootie, and built her career taking talent into new arenas. In 2020, she partnered with Miscuti and Dennis Cummings to, la to launch Mad Solar. The first production released under the banner was the Amazon documentary, A Man Named Scott, from director Robert Alexander. She then went on to executive produce South by Southwest fan favorite X, along with its highly anticipated prequel, Pearl, and the recently announced sequel, Maxine. All three films are directed by Ty West and distributed by A24. Very cool. Pearl had its world premiere at the 2022 Venice Film Festival, followed by a screening in the Midnight Madness program at the 2022 Toronto International Film Festival, and released exclusively in theaters on September 16th. She's an executive producer on the critically acclaimed Netflix animated series directed by Fletcher Moles, I hope I didn't butcher his name, Enter Galactic, which was released alongside its album of the same name from Kid Cootie on September 30th. She's a native of Los Angeles, so am I, and graduated from Chapman University with a BFA in film production. Karina, welcome to the show. Well, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my gosh, I, I am so thrilled to see you. Your energy is just incredible. I, I know we're going to have a great conversation. No, I feel I feel exactly the same. I've been looking so forward to this and the inspiration you bring to all of your listeners. So it's it's really an honor and a pleasure to get to have this opportunity to speak with you. Oh, thank you. Well, let's take a dive into your origin story. You grew up in LA. You have a Middle Eastern background, and you what what made you fall in love with the idea of film and going to film school? Oh my gosh. Oh, so the, these are these are the funny stories. So when I was in, uh, I went to Buckley in Sherman Oaks, and when I was in high I school them in basketball at Westlake. <laughs> oh, you you beat all. They were horrible, honestly. The amount the, the amount of teams that beat us in every sport is my memory of every other school in Los Angeles. It's like, <laughs> we lost to them. Oh, we lost to that one too. Um, so eventually, I think that may have inspired me doing theater classes instead of like pursuing my soccer ambitions of playing defense, playing right back. Um, but basically, when I was in high school, my sister is a year and a half older, and she started to think about what am I going to go to college for? 
And uh, that made me think, well, what am I going to go to college for? And my mom's like, well, what do you love? And I said, well, I love my English classes. I love my theater classes. And she says, well, why don't you try a film class? And I was like, okay, cool. Really? That was mom's suggestion. Yeah, mom's suggestion. So in at Buckley, they had a video class. And I remember there was one project that I pumped my heart and soul into. I wrote and rewrote the script. It, you know, I cast it as well as I could with my friends in the theater program. And get me wrong, it was God awful. I thought <laughs> I was. Called, what was it called? Oh my God. I don't even remember. <laughs> I had, I mean, every movie I did had a gun in it. It was like as dramatic and, you know, a student first film as you can imagine. If anything, it was a comedy that was trying to be a gangster film. It was a disaster. But what I remember is that there was this one moment where I'm in my garage shooting and I was behind the camera and I'm like, oh, I like this more than that. And from then it was film school. So, I went to Chapman for film production. And the beauty of that program is that you start with the first level of everything. So you take writing classes, directing, producing, cinematography, editing, and you can start to choose what you want to emphasize in. And as much as I liked the creative, I felt like the amount of lift it took for me to do what some of my peers had naturally versus producing where oh, you're telling me I just call this car dealership and tell <laughs> it's your location for free. And weirdly that happens, which is absurd, but all it was, was conversations. And I love conversations. So I ended up leaning into that arena, um, interning at production companies. And then when I graduated, the only jobs I applied for, which I can give you backstory on too, were uh, mailroom agency jobs and went to WME right after school. That was my little, my little way in. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a very traditional path in the industry. Yeah, as as traditional as it can get. It's it's interesting when you put it on the table, LA born film school into an agency, it all just seems hyper uh the ordinary. It's it's a typical, a typical Hollywood story. I suppose my uh, the interesting thing is, you know, being Middle Eastern, there's not a lot of people that we know who do it. I've got one well, I was of kind of imagining maybe there's not a lot of women that take that path either. And I'm, I'm curious that also. <laughs> Honestly, not not a ton. Um, for it was interesting because for us, there was one uh, of my dad's first cousins is a producer. And that's that's the only and closest contact we had in the business to create any sort of explanation for it. But what I was really supported by was my parents. So as I was saying, oh, I'm going to go to film school. Great. And then, oh, I'm going to go start in the mailroom. Well, my dad had a lot of fun with that. He loved telling people, yeah, she went to college and now she's going to be pushing a mail cart. And he thought it was very <laughs> funny, um, very, very funny, but not without oodles and oodles and oodles of support. He, I mean, my parents were completely behind it from the beginning. And for my other siblings too, I mean, my sister pursued gaming. It's, it's, you know, the industries we chose are very indicative of our personalities. And that was an open, an open, open season as far as my parents were concerned. Oh my gosh. Well, kudos to mom and dad, you know, for all of that support. It's really unusual of everybody I talk to who comes on the show. I, I feel like that's the rare thing to hear because mostly it's folks who are going against the grain, but it sounds like it really gave you a boost of self-confidence to go after your dreams. Yeah. I, I, for me, everything starts with family because I very early on recognized that my biggest blessing was my family. So if I didn't have a friend in the world, it didn't matter if I didn't have, if I didn't have anything, but I had them, I was completely fine and completely happy. So 
all of the pursuits ended up feeling a lot like a cherry on top because I had them. And that gave me a lot of freedom and flexibility to pursue passions, pursue ambitions, and just feel centered with my feet on the ground that nothing had to be too, not to say not, I don't want to say too serious where it sounds like you take it lightly, but nothing had to be your whole world, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So you're you're in the mailroom at WME. How does that feel to you? What, you know, what are you discovering in that position? And and how do you start to move up in from that position, which is the lowest ranking on the totem pole? Um, it was it was really awesome. The way that WME structures its mailroom, or at least it then, and every every agency does it a little bit differently. But they hire in mailroom classes, so you start with five other people in my in my year, and first you're going through training, and then you start in the mailroom, which is really exciting because you have your little group, and it feels like college part two with the, these kids that you're put together with, all coming from different parts of the world, and. Uh, and just in the, from their own circumstances. And then while you're in the mailroom, you float. So when an assistant is out for an hour, a day, a week, a month, whatever it is, they need a temp assistant to cover their desk. And everyone in the mailroom are those responsible parties that can get called up to a desk. And eventually assistants move on, uh, desks open up, and those agents require a permanent assistant to take their place. And the interview pool are generally the people from the mail, mailroom as well. So your trajectory is actually a very clear ladder. You start in the mailroom, a desk opens up and you interview for it, and eventually you find your permanent seat. And from there, you the kind of traditional trajectories, you work your way up through different agents until you can become a coordinator and from there get promoted to agent. So uh, what does a coordinator do? I haven't heard that term. Yeah. So a coordinator essentially is a responsible party to an entire department. So it's a middle ground where you no longer work for somebody else. So you're, you're completely your own person. You have your own email, your own phones. It's the, that level of freedom, but it's a bit of an intermediary step before you're your own agent, where you essentially do any of the job requirements of the department. So in my situation, I the first desk that I worked, uh, or excuse me, the first agent that I worked for was Andrew Weitz, who was a TV talent agent. And this was right as House of Cards and True Detective came out. So you could feel the industry shifting toward mm-hmm. television. So you can now binge TV, no client is no TV. And there was like a definite shift in what that felt like. So at that point, I started to, it wasn't hard to notice, but you noticed that there was something that was transitioning here. And I made a decision to stick within the department and work for Jonathan Blumen, who was another TV talent agent. From there, they ended up creating a coordinator position for me, which was TV talent coordinator, which was a really nice situation, almost because uh, there, it didn't exist before. So anything I did was new and something that serviced the company without the expectations it would have existed prior. So there's a lot of creativity and a lot of, okay, where are the holes and how can I do, uh, how can I create a system to fix it? And from there, what was also interesting, they ended up promoting me alongside three other agents. And the first thing they did was stuff the four of us into a corner office together. So I had another of those coming up in a group scenarios of multiple people coming up together at the same time. And we became our own little class of, of agents promoted and, and living within a system together. Well, what I'm hearing you say is like, you had a lot of synergy and cooperation with the people you were working with. And, you know, you kind of think of agents as being, you know, super cutthroat. Uh, what was your, what was your experience as you were moving up and into those positions and then becoming a talent agent? Gosh, it was, it was, 
really collaborative. And I think part of that was incumbent on the group of young agents and people you grew up with in the mailroom who all of a sudden go to different companies and you feel like you have your industry circle just based on the people that you grew up with. So I remember you'd look at some of the people that you admired above you and they're friends with the head of this studio and these are people that they grew up with and oh my god these relationships that they've acquired how is this possible and then all of a sudden you're coming up and everybody starts finding their own success stories and where they're happy and you look around and you're like wow I have that circle too or my circle is formed in that way. And we're all growing up together and the conversation is so fluid and so much easier. So I felt within the fabric of WME, not only was there support up down and an investment, I mean, they, they go by the name Endeavor, they yes. call themselves disruptors. There's very much an investment on the individual who do something a little bit different uh, and they're supported in their uniqueness and who they are. Um, but also in the in the in the bottom up is the people that you're growing up with who really become your support system and eventually the people that you're doing business with. It was yeah, surprisingly more collaborative than cutthroat. Really, really interesting, especially because I teach above the line creative. So I'm always talking about find your wolf pack. But and what I hear you saying is it's the same thing on the agenting side is you've got your wolf pack. It, back in the olden days, we used to say your Rolodex. <laughs> I don't know if anyone like under the age of 35 even knows what a Rolodex is. Soon we're not going to, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, soon it goes out the window. Like when we say roll down our window and kids are like, roll? What, what is the roll part of the window that you're talking about? I know it, it all changes. <laughs> it does. It does. So you made those connections there. What was your favorite part of the job? Gosh, my favorite part of the job, honestly, was representing people you cared about and getting those win moments for them that you, because there's certain points where you really feel like you had a hand in doing something that shifted a trajectory or offered a new opportunity or where you championed somebody and it, and it, and it made a difference. I mean, I remember one of, one of my favorite moments uh, working with Stephen Merchant was when uh, he booked Wolverine, which was so unexpected. Six foot seven, British comedian by trade, English accent. It's just so unusual that somebody like that would be the only new X-Men other than a little girl in an R-rated X-Men film. It's, you know, so I remember there's certain moments like that where you do something that feels a little bit different and it's really fulfilling. That is, that feels really good. Oh, that's just awesome. Hey, who did you represent when you were an agent? Gosh, it was so a lot of my clients, all of Stephen Merchant, my my niche became people, uh, people doing unexpected things. So a lot of the people I worked with were multi-hyphenates like Dax Shepard or Wanda Sykes or Paul Rubens or people who are creators in other fields. And then inevitably it ended up also opening up to musicians. So Scott Meskety, Kit Cuddy was my first client of that ilk, who was somebody who was represented at the agency that I sought out being his talent agent. I mean, it was my, my hand raised and knocking on doors to allow that to open up. And from then there were a few different clients of that arena that I started to work with. So Travis Scott became one and then uh, Juice World for, for a very quick moment, I was working with him as well. So it started to open up a little bit as something that I had a, a specialty in doing until ultimately choosing to make that a permanent situation with Scott and this new iteration at Mad Solar. And how did that decision and opportunity come about? It sounds really exciting. 
Yeah. Um, how it came about, uh, you'll, you'll hear there's a lot of serendipity in my storytelling. Um, I love that. Which is, which I mean, is part same of here. it. Same here. I mean, that's how I ended up working for Gary Shandling. It was just totally serendipitous and, you know, an organic connection that, you know, was just evident to us both. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I feel like in retrospect, when people ask what advice you'd give them, it's allow people to knock you. Sometimes we could have this grandmaster plan of where we think we're going to be and where we're going to end up. But if we allow people to knock us on a path, it takes us to such a new and interesting place that often subverts expectations or exceeds them. And it, I, I really give a lot of credit. There's certain individuals all along the path that I can distinctly remember the places that they sent me and their guidance leading me here. Um, but the serendipity of Mad Solar specifically came because Scott, at this point, uh, you know, while I was representing him, we just sold Intergalactic. He'd written his first pilot and sent it to me. He had another idea we were talking to Seth Rogen about. And all of these things started to come together. And I felt like Scott was a client who was right for a company. And there was this moment where there was this waterfall of press. It was a month where a lot of press came out about him. And on the heels of that, Aaron Gilbert, who runs Braun, reached out to Scott after having done a movie years and years and years ago with him to talk about potential collaborations and ideas that they could build together. And that was uh, fall of 2019. And then come January of 2020, Aaron was doing meetings around WME and comes into my office. And I was telling him all of these things I was feeling about a company. And he goes, well, I'll do that for you. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you. Let, let's do it. And I kid you not, as easy as that, as if, you know, I was just saying, let's have water instead of coffee. Like it was so simple, so easy with Aaron. That led into the relationship terms for the company, which all were closed by May of that year, which point COVID is rampant and all of our workday blinders are down. Mm -hmm. And you can look around and say, is this exactly what I want to be doing? Or is there something more on the other side? And by that point, Intergalactic was fully fledged and something that we were developing. And by virtue of Scott, who's very inclusive as far as the creative, I was, you know, crafting the pitch with him and sitting in the writer's room and acknowledging that as I'm sitting in the writer's room, I'm my happiest. But if WME knew I was here, they would say, well, you, you've already sold that. Go pitch other clients. This is a waste of your time. But I didn't want to leave. So there was already this feeling of like, oh, the longing for the creative and as we were building this company, oh, I don't know how to hire somebody for this. It'll make me sick. Like, I, I have to be the one. And by the time COVID was here and blinders are down, it was, there wasn't really an option anymore. It was just so obvious. So at that point, I, you know, spoke to Scott and spoke to Aaron, spoke to Dennis, uh, our partner with Scott, who manages his longtime manager and one of his best friends from his origin days in Shaker Heights. They grew up together. Um and it became a pretty, a pretty clear uh, and natural step. So that was the point where, where I made the transition over. Well, it just sounds like you're following your bliss. <laughs> There's a lot of that. With it enough to know what it, what it is in the moment, you know, when, when it was there in front of you, because that's a, that's a leap, you know, that's a leap to leave your island, you know, where you were. And I, it, I'm wondering if in the pandemic for you, you were like so many of us questioning your path and what direction was right for you. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting from the origin, I could have said, yeah, I could be a, a career agent that that sounds very familiar and very comfortable. And it was really by virtue of Scott being so inclusive, which was unique, because the way that it's usually structured is that a client will have a talent agent, a lit agent for features specifically a lit agent for television, everything gets fabricated through different agents within mm -hmm. the company. But with Scott, since he was nobody at WME had his number when I started representing him in our relationship relationship became so deliberate one-to-one -one as far as the entire film and TV business was concerned, alongside his existing music team, there was a level of inclusion in all of those steps that I don't think I would have been able to have had without him. Otherwise, there would have been somebody else who would have been the responsible party for something like Anarchalactic. So I do give a lot of credit to Scott because had he not felt that trust and connection with me and given me those opportunities and cared to speak to me about these ideas and allowed me the platform to support him in that way. I don't think, I don't think I could have found my footing and what I was missing or what I was looking for. That's so interesting. So now you're producing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let's talk about that. I'm, I'm newly producing as well with my producing team. And I, I'm just like crazy about it. You came on and said you love conversations and uh, you, so do I. So it seems like you're in your natural um, point of, of genius, your zone <laughs> of excellence, as they call it, um, where it feels more effortless for you maybe to be in that seat. So just talk to me about what you love about it. Yeah, well, I think the 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 places where it feels effortless, I'll go back and give more credit to to the foundation. So so much of what WME offered me was twofold and and led to where I am now. So one thing that I had within the agency was was a, a ability to, to meet the people who I wanted to be working with. So within the fabric of the company, anybody will take your phone call. And if you can carve out the time of your day, which is you know, filled with the department meetings or coverage or servicing or the work that you need to be doing within the agency, you can also identify who are the people that I'm like-minded with that I do want to be doing business with, have outreach and create connectivity with them. So that half of it was huge in terms of the formation of the new company and direct projects led from that. And there was, there was a, a, a level of uh, ability that came out of that simply by virtue of the structure of WME. The other side, which we've tapped into, was proximity to talent. So on your own, do you start working with Kid Cudi in this way or people of that caliber? Would have been infinitely harder and required even more serendipity than my situation already had. So the fact that he was already within the agency and there was proximity to talent that led to our relationship was significant as well. So I think when you took those foundations and brought it into this transition, the role became something that was already set up. I knew who I wanted to reach out to and people that I was interested in sharing business with. And quite quickly, that led to opportunities for us to connect together. So some examples, um, my husband represents Sam Levinson. And as he was putting together Malcolm and Marie uh, and was looking for financiers for it, that conversation with him and Scott became very natural and organic. And then when that led to X, and its formation that it came not only out of Sam's interest in Scott and Ty West's interest in Scott from having met him post House of the Devil, since Scott's a huge horror buff and reached out to get dinner with him, but also because when our company formed, one of my first calls was to one of my favorite uh, creators within the business, which is Noah Sacco at A24. We're huge fans, of course, who isn't of all of the work that they do. Right? Oh, and, and they're just killing oh. it this year too. That's it's awesome. Just, it's just next level. So when I had spoken to him about 
Scott, the horror buff, and all of these things we were looking to build and what Mad Solar stood for, the first thing he said is, oh, we've got this movie coming in from Ty West. It's like Scream, but it's 70s and it's porno and like it's crazy. I'm going to send it to you guys when it's ready. So by the time X had come in, you had all three parties involved in the project coming to the table and saying, Scott and Mad Solar. So the that being one of the initial projects out of the company felt so natural and like such an indicative part of the process, again, not only of Scott and his relationships, but also that fabric of using the foundation of where you came from to build something new. Tell me about Mad Solar as a brand and what you focus on, what you love, where, where your energy goes as a brand within that company. It's a great, it's a great question. So what was interesting as Matt Solar was coming together, there was a real slate of material that was Scott centric in the sense that he had ideas that he was developing or characters that he was creating. And really quickly, we realized that the mediums were very wide. I mean, it could be a comic book, a video game, film, TV, like he's creating a fashion line. Like Scott could, he's so prolific and it could be with music, without music. Like there's so much range in terms of his interests and the things that he engages with and where, where his inspiration sources can come from. So medium was agnostic. Also genre was agnostic because he was writing a rom-com in the same breath as animation, in the same breath as horror. There was a, a wide range of that as well. And what ended up happening really quickly is I realized that as we're dividing what our slate is going to look like, almost 70% of it is Scott-driven ideas, things that Scott is coming up with that we're going to build alongside him. The other 30% was projects that we're bringing into the fold. And if we consider, okay, now we have all of this uh, all of this possibility, then what's the through line that connects everything? The thesis, which you're going to laugh at me because it's so obvious, but the thesis is creating material that reflects or at least answers the question of why are you telling this today? Super obvious. We should all be doing that. Karina, like, don't why this? Why now? Podcast, you know, <laughs> for us, it was so indicative of who Scott was as an artist because his entire career was built on if I express my vulnerability of the moment and one person connects with it, then they're no longer alone. Mm -hmm. So if we could bring that energy to the projects that we're building and create things that are specifically for the culture or indicative of today, then we feel like we're doing a service to who Scott is as an artist. And as an, as an example, for us, that doesn't mean that it has to be self-important or dramatic. I mean, I think if anything, right now, we're getting so much of that, that audiences want to be entertained. So what's something entertaining that we can create that creates a new platform? Or in the Thai West example, again, it was a, it was a gift and so much of a sense that we were invited into the party. There was, there was real clarity in working with him that, uh, that there was a reinvention of horror, like, chic horror, period horror, surprise horror, blending of genre, blending of time yeah. periods. There's something so new in what he was building that's very indicative of, of what we're trying to build. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, speaking to the genre agnostic piece, I'm often talking to my students about working on their brands and they get, especially the writers will get really stuck on, well, I'm, you know, I, I really am a comedy writer, but I also like writing drama. And then they lose the thread of how to talk about themselves. And it's probably a place as a teacher where I put a, maybe even the most energy with them, helping them understand, listen, you, and this is an industry where you have to identify yourself and who you are and what you do and, and your, the value that you contribute just highlighting back to something you just said about Scott, you know, expressing his vulnerability so that the viewers feel less alone. 
Like that to me is one of the most powerful brand statements that I've ever heard. I mean, that's just like, that's what we want. That's what we crave. That gets a hell yeah from me, you know, like my, my past life as a development exec, I'd be like, oh my God, well, whatever script that is, I want to read that. Cause I feel like when it happens on screen, those moments where we really truly feel something or even feel less alone. I mean, that's the magic. Yeah, I, I love I love that that's your instinct of how you teach because I completely agree with you. I think this business does enough of a job of lacking imagination. Where I, I always I always joke about it. People only assume you can do what you've already done. So then, how do you change that narrative? Mm-hmm. I think the writer today really benefits from the fact that people care about the person. So instead of saying I write rom coms exclusively, it's who am I? Where am I from? What drives me as an artist? Because those are the things that'll distinguish you and only you from everybody else around you. We all have a different origin story. So where does it all come from? So I think I think that energy and appreciation of we can write in different ways, because of course, we all tell stories differently. I've told a scary story, and I've told a really happy story. And does that mean that I'm or I'm incorrect in being able to do both of those things at once. Writers are capable of the same if we give them the room for it or if they have the interest in it. Absolutely. And I've just been watching, you know, some Billy Wilder films. I always have TCM on the background when I'm working and some like it hot came on. And it's like, and I was just reminded, I was even reflecting back to some of my younger students, like, this is somebody who could do it all, Com- right. you know, incredible comedy, incredible drama. And then we just knew him as Billy Wilder, like, you know, his brand. So, so evident. And, um, and I feel like that's that highest level of capability and talent, you know, where you're really bringing your own POV perspective, talent, ability. I mean, we're seeing it in like Taika Watiti today, where we just yeah. have the voice ripples through or Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you know, where her voice has such carriage, you know, through anything that she touches. And I just, I admire that so much personally. I do too. And it's amazing because I'm seeing that within Scott as he's writing and his sources of inspiration and these characters that he's coming up with, there's such a breadth of, of, of inspiration points. And it's so clear this is a man who really loves the art form and loves experiencing and loves being creative. I mean, he's cracking me up. He's like, I'm all of a sudden a rom-com writer and I've like, can't find love myself. And all I want is, you know, I, maybe I'm just projecting, trying to manifest into the world, the things that I'm looking at for myself, but it came so naturally from him. And I thought intergalactic was incredibly indicative of that, of, of understanding what a wish, wish fulfillment love story can look like in the modern day. Oh, I love that. Are you putting notes in on the projects now and developing what's happening yeah, and yeah. your hands in it? Yeah, our, definitely. I mean, our, our writing process, I say ours, I mean, it's Scott's, but I'm certainly a, a participant. Our writing process right now is really funny because what it's evolved into is uh, I sit on uh, on the phone with Scott and Scott tells me everything that happens in the story and I'm quickly typing it in notes and then I bring it into script and then send it to him and we read it together and then we go on to the next. So it's very collaborative. And I think that's really exciting for me because there are points where inflection points where I can offer some of my thoughts, where Scott is constantly ideating and it baffles me that this guy is writing dialogue and say all of it, just, just sitting there, just sitting there on the phone, he can craft an entire story. And interestingly, very rarely needs to go back and change anything. It all seems wow. to flow so fluidly from, from what's existed before. So yeah, it's been really exciting because just again, by virtue of what the appropriate partnership is for somebody like that, we get to, we get to do a lot of the creative and that nitty gritty together. 
I love that you've got that front row seat and the collaboration for sure. <laughs> it's like you feel like your voice is heard and you're a value also. And yeah. I especially love that for you as a woman and love that for us as yeah. women in the industry where, you know, we've been part of an industry where our voices have been silenced, you know, traditionally. And I, I'm really curious about your own origin story with Middle Eastern background as a woman of color in this industry. How have you seen it shift or change? You feel like we're going in the right direction? I'm yeah. just curious your thoughts. It's it's interesting. There's there's a lot of answers for that. I think there's not a ton of Middle Eastern creatives that I've worked with um, in terms of not not by by proxy, just that there's not so many of us in this business. And it's it's interesting when you find each other, it's really fulfilling. And I think as an audience member of my origin, there's been a lot of really interesting moments lately because growing up, the only thing I ever saw that felt like my family was my big fat Greek wedding. And that's not even, it's Greek. I mean, we're, it's not the same thing, but there was so much closeness. I can't even where's tell your, you. Where's your family from? So I'm Iraq, three quarters Iraqi, a quarter Iranian and fully Jewish. So my dad was born in Iran and my mom was born in Indonesia. So, which is interesting, but her dad's side was a long lineage of Iraqi Jews in Indonesia, which we don't even know how far back it dated. And weirdly enough, their, her maiden name means Egyptian. So we're sure that that mix is in somewhere, but- it's fascinating. Yeah, but the breakdown goes as specific as that. Um, Sephardic Jew in that lineage? Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, so, ancient, ancient. Oh no, and it's 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 been really it's been really amazing. I was having a conversation the other day about with a, a a parent at school who's Indian and her daughter's first generation. And I told her, I'm like, that's such a gift for her. And she was, why do you say that? And this is me being first generation. I feel like you're close enough to your traditions and the stories of what created your family and the culture and the origin and all of it where you're defined by it. Like if you ask me about myself, I want to talk about my grandparents first, then my parents. And then it's like, okay. And then I came and here's the typical LA Hollywood story. It's not that interesting, but they're fascinating. And they're how I see myself. Mm. Um, but then you're also a part of this country and there's no detraction of your barrier of entry. You've, you've grown up here. You speak the language exactly how it's meant to be spoken. You or you know, perceptively, not, not, not by rule. It's just your your barrier of entry is very simple. So I think it's a real gift. I mean, it's a really incredibly fortunate situation to be in. And I feel like so much of what I draw to the point that my blessings are my family. So I experience abject freedom. It's also the traditions have stuck with me. So I just feel... I feel grounded. I feel like I know I know how I'm supposed to live each day simply by virtue of what was given to me by those people who I'm so close with and who have defined that for me. So that that was a huge component of just how I see the world. And then when you link that to my big fat Greek wedding, which again isn't Middle Eastern, but it's so so close. It's so, you know, they have Nick, 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 Nikki. We have Shuli, 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 Saul, like the jokes, the lamb. I mean, we don't know what vegan is. Like all of that stuff was so <laughs> dead on and so funny and so right. But from then until Rami, I didn't have that experience again. I was just going to say Rami, like was, we don't yeah. have that much on screen in terms of the Middle Eastern experience or even yeah. American Middle Eastern experience. There's not very much. Yeah. And even if you take Rami, he's Egyptian, Muslim, New York, male. I'm 
right? Rocky, Jewish, female, Los Angeles. It's not the same, but still there's so much connectivity. We're to the point I put on the show for my dad. I was like, you have to watch this. And it was the episode that opened with uh, his parents and uncle talking about how Princess Diana died was a conspiracy by the crown. And my dad's like, oh, I had that conversation last night. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. How is it all the same? It was just so right. And so for me, an experience like watching Rami was such a resurgence of, oh man, you're right. This has been a very unique experience for me to watch something and, and to see myself in it. And if we as a group and, you know, the, 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 like the, the strong and mighty little group within this business are able to create more of those experiences, wouldn't that be so wonderful that all of these people of different origins. And like I said, it's, it's Rami isn't the same as me. If anything, it shows that the religious barriers aren't so great because it all feels the same. So all this to say, I, I suppose my, my upbringing within the business, back to the beginning question, has been one of moments of, of connectivity or moments of seeing myself that's then inspired in retrospect what my opportunity is to create more of that. That's so beautiful. You know, it really means a lot to the to the global audience too. Of course, we tend to be really United States. Yeah. Um, but I know we have a product that exports billions of dollars around the world wherein people get to see themselves reflected on screen or see how they're reflected on screen. And of course, we've done this terrible disservice to all people of the Middle East, you know, for the last forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, Middle Eastern equals terrorist. Yeah, exactly. The only, the only, uh, <laughs> the only portrayal on TV is probably not ideal. <laughs> a lot of opportunity, to, but there's a lot of opportunity to do better. I don't talk about it very much because it was so long ago. But in my early, you know, college years and research, as I started working on my first novel, is about the events that led up to the burning of the Great Library of Alexandria, and I loved, you know, this era. Um, because it was such a melting pot, there were so many different ethnicities and languages being spoken in the city at that time. It reminded me of New York, where you just had a, you know all these cultures flourishing and science flourishing and you know discoveries flour flourishing, medicine flourishing. And I just thought it was such an interesting era. Uh, we don't see a lot of it on screen. I mean, recently, I, I guess the thing I can think of most recently is probably Moon Knight, where we get into more... Uh, fantasy, which is so fun too, but I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for more of those types of shows as well. I thought it was so interesting you wrote your novel about that period. I went to Egypt for the first time in May, which weirdly was the first experience I've had that felt like a homecoming. I mean, you landed, you're hearing Arabic, which is what my grandma speaks. Everywhere was the food that she makes. You're ordering Turkish coffee, which she reads your fortune out of. It's She's amazing. Um, so- yeah, so for not being able to visit Iraq and not being able to visit Iran, and my dad even saying, which is an interesting thought, is that if we even we went to Iran, it wasn't the home that he grew up in. So there's not really anything for him to connect to or show us. It's to think of the that the places you can't go, but then to find a version of homecoming and what that feels like. Egypt is an extraordinary place. I mean, because not only is it homecoming individual, but it feels like birth of man in so much of what you're seeing there. It blew my mind. The amount of, I mean, the ruins that you'd see and the archaeology that was available and all of it, which made Rome look like Disneyland. I mean, it was unbelievable. So your interest in that period was exceptionally profound just after having experienced that. I think I was past life or something. 
Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't like, I couldn't let it go. And I'm also so passionate about seeing women and more representation for women on screen. And the fact that Hypatia was this woman running the great library and she got there. She wasn't a princess. She wasn't royal blood. And I thought, wow, who's this woman, you know, philosopher there by the merit of her own mind. It's just, it's a very unusual story in history. And I can't really point to anybody, but her for whom that was her story, especially going back, you know, 1600 years. No, it's 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 amazing. And then uh, one of my favorite conversations was Hatsep Shoot, who yes, Pharaoh, okay. who's a woman, and who was who was erased, who was stamped out, and they like found her. Oh like, my god, that was crazy! Her stepson, who decided that he was going to spend the majority of his leadership carving, cutting her name out of stone. Yeah, unbelievable. The pettiness is extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, what you could do with power is just is just amazing. But the idea that a woman basically said. The gods have turned me male so I can be Pharaoh and is supported in that venture is extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. There was so many amazing stories from that whole era and from where you're from too. I mean, hi, the bedrock of all civilization, you know, Iraq and Iran. And I had a student who is uh, in my most recent class who is uh, Iranian and has been going through, you know, getting here and getting asylum and has been arrested three times there and all of the persecution of the filmmakers in that country. A lot of uh, even U.S. filmmakers don't realize the luxury that we have to tell these stories on screen, the joy of it that is offered to us that's not available, uh, especially in a culture where filmmakers and artists are being persecuted for doing this art. I completely agree with you. And I think I think it's easy to it's easy to forget when it just seems so normal. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so true. Yeah, I mean, I I forget. It was a great reminder for me of like also the responsibility in a way to the revolution of like being really intent intentional uh, about what I'm working on or with the stories we're putting on screen and and why and how is this going to ripple um, through time and maybe affect people or or elevate us or just make us happy, make us laugh a little bit more. We've all just been through this crazy ass pandemic and, um, you know, give us a, a moment of distraction or peace of mind from all of our troubles. I feel like that's alone just so valuable. I, I totally agree with you. It was interesting when I, so I was just at in uh, Savannah for the SCAD festival and I was sitting with Chris Lane, who was talking at participant, he was talking a lot about well, remember out of the Great Depression came the golden age of Hollywood where you're seeing all these musicals, you're seeing dancing, you're seeing- Dean Martin. Dean Martin got us through the depression. (laughs) If you move toward that, then what would be the appropriate response out of the pandemic? Feasibly something that uplifts. I mean, if, if that's, if that ends up being the message that we take from all of this, then isn't that that something that's really, really beautiful that all of a sudden we're seeking to make each other feel good again and feel connected? I don't don't think we're there yet. And I feel sad about that because- You see the response from the collective in shows like Ted Lasso, where it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) refuge, I can take refuge in the show. And, you know, and then on the other hand, there's the the proliferation of the excitement around, and I love it too, you know, thrillers and horror and all the rise of all the scary, dark, you know, everything. So it's like that part is echoing what we've been through as a culture, you know, in a way. And then there's also, I think, more opportunity um, for more comedy, for more elevated storytelling that, you know, brings us into the, the feel good. That's an important part for our producing team are the feel good yeah. element. 
It's like, I want to walk out of a movie feeling great. I don't want to walk out of a movie feeling like shit. I don't want to use my time that way. My time on earth is too precious and valuable. And I know I get like really, I'm really susceptible to the, to the vibe or the mood of something that I've just watched. So I carry it with me throughout the rest of the day, or maybe even into the next morning into my dreams sometimes. And I've just noticed, like, I kind of got to be careful what I ingest because it's going to alter how I'm interacting with people and what I'm, you know, the voice I'm putting into my own work. And I, I don't know, I've just moved more toward the feel goods lately. I understand. And I think, I think what we've lost is that communal experience, which I know we've talked about the death of theaters and all of it, but yeah. it's not even just the movie theaters. It's also by proxy of there being so much volume that I could be watching house of the dragon and you can be watching Dahmer and we're both right but we're not having a conversation and yes. so technically and water you know so, yeah so the, the, yeah. that water cooler connectivity of everybody sitting there and, and experiencing something together is lost mm-hmm. so when you lose your community and being able to connect over content or or uh, culture or any of those things then then what's left and then I think the social conversation tends to go pretty dark so your only sense of involving yourself with others is something that's pessimistic. It's just, it's, there's something, it feels like there's something missing in that. I, I echo that for sure. And the last movie I saw in the theater was, was bros and I'm bi and queer. So seeing bros in the theater, it, you know, with a group of my community who are all just laughing so hard. And then we gave the movie and look, I'm in North County, San Diego. We gave it a standing ovation when the movie ended and like that feeling for me of seeing that kind of representation on screen was just so so exciting and so funny and then to be part of a movie theater where everybody was laughing was just like I had an out-of-body experience of like this I'm usually laughing in my living room by myself and here's everybody just these ripples of laughter that would then carry it higher where you know we'd all just keep laughing more it was it was just so meaningful I was like god I have really missed this yeah you're gonna laugh but I remember the last one the last and this sounds terrible but it was right after Get Out came. My brother called me that night. He's like, you need to go to the theater immediately because if you do not see this with the like vivid, you know, opening weekend audience, you've missed an experience. Yes. And distinctly to this day, I remember what Get Out felt like in that movie theater where people were yelling at the screen. I mean, they were so reactive. It was so much fun. You were laughing at your peers more than the movie. That was one of the best experiences I've had in a theater in my life. In my oh, life, and it, because it was that opening weekend of Get Out when it when people were there for the first time. Well, let's let's futurize for a minute because yeah. I'm so curious with your in industry perspective. Where do you see theatrical going? I mean, you know, Top Gun brought us back, and we're you know we're seeing the the domestic and global box office rebounding. But at the same time, how many of these movies are really going to get a theatrical release? So, what do we think is going to happen with the exhibitors? Gosh, I, I I hope it all still I hope it all still trudges forward. I think what's interesting is that so much of what's been working in the box office is superhero and IP, which we all know. It's the things that people are familiar with. But I think, especially with some of these other studios that are still basing their business in theatrical and not streaming and being tending to be places where the IP isn't the superhero kind, I think what hopefully you'll see is examples of original IP being built and opportunities for franchises that are original ideas. And I think if that starts to happen and those things connect, hopefully there is a resurgence of original ideas in theatrical. I know this is probably the glass half full version of what this can look like, but I do think that there's room for it. I think if 
If we are speaking, I come on the show anytime. I I love the glass half full. I'm an optimist all the time. Is it terrible? I'm always smiling. I'm like, things are going to be great. It's all going to work out. Um, But I I think so. I think think that there's, I think that there is a path forward. I think that there is room for it. If if we put the right things forward that entertain, that feel communal, that people want to embrace, that feel like big ideas, why not? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you have kids? I do. I have a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. Oh my goodness. Amazing. (laughs) I mean, they're only just maybe discovering these things. I think when my son, who's going to turn 11, when he was that age, it was like my neighbor Totoro was on 24 seven repeat. You know, we have so much Totoro. (laughs) Oh my God. Great. You know, it's just everywhere. That was his favorite. That is a great one to have as a favorite. I've done, maybe I should try again now that my daughter's three, but the early, the early origination of like Studio Ghibli, which lasted a little, but then she's like, I, I, Diana and Roma and YouTubers. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess we progressed into that really quickly, but um, yeah. Yeah, Totoro sounds like a win. <laughs> oh, Totoro for the win. Yeah, and Kiki's delivery service and yeah, stuff. Yes. As a parent, you know, you're these things are on in the background so much that you're going just anything but baby shark, you know, please. Oh, like and, and the beautiful know. music and and the incredible orchestrations uh and the scores of the Studio Ghibli movies were just always such a pleasure. You know, if I'm cooking or whatever I'm doing and working in the background. Um, you know, there's that, it, it's just, it's beautiful. And that always helps to soothe my nerves. Unlike YouTube now, yeah. I'm like, put your headphones on now <laughs> for you and your private moment. <laughs> no, I, 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 I totally understand it. Even some of the old Disney movies. I mean, I, they still make me cry. They still inspire me. The artistry is so beautiful. The storytelling is quite simple and it all, it all feels very reflective and nostalgic. So I, I totally, I totally understand it. I've been getting my son, uh, I, I've now I'm trying very hard. I'm like, let's watch only 2D Disney movies. Let's put on 101 Dalmatians and see if you like the puppies <laughs> and move our way through that way. And hopefully that sticks. I, I, I know the feeling. Oh, I love that plan. What were some of your favorite movies when you were a kid? Oh, good question. So I loved, I loved Disney movies growing up. I also loved anime. That was my, my jam with my sister where we would watch Toonami and, you know, embrace every anime, which now is really like, she's turned that that into her business and, and her fandom. It's really incredible, but it's always something that we share together and still what I watch. So anime is the only thing I can watch that doesn't feel like work. So I watch it at nauseum it's my happy place so that that's carried through and then I think for me I had my dad showing me the gangster films and I had my mom showing me Gone with the Wind and Breakfast at Tiffany's so I had a little bit of that dual upbringing where I was getting both the female side of classic films and the male side growing up 
Oh, that's really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, great beginning. I've told my son if he's ever homesick from school, he's only allowed to watch some of these classic movies. I'm like, you're sick. It's film education day at home. And he's kind of like, well, I can't watch YouTube. I'm like, yeah, if you're sick, I'm big. I'm, I get to pick and curate what you watch. And lovely. I'm going to get it in there somehow. Oh my gosh. I, I had, we had our biggest win moment with my younger brother who we've I have two little brothers and one of them will watch anything we ask him to and has gone through lengths to make he never says no I mean we made him see Grey Gardens the musical which was so long and so not the thing he needed to be doing with this time and then we have another brother who doesn't really watch many movies but we showed him Arthur the original and that was Dudley Moore Oh, yes. That was like, like the greatest thing we've ever, all of a sudden old movies have purpose and meaning because Arthur was so excellent for him. That was the transition moment. Love that. I, I love chasing some of the talent and actors too. I'm a huge Cary Grant fan and his career and, you know, watching him grow and his lines and just everything that he delivered the way he did. My son was asking me like, what was your favorite movie you know of his and I was oh my god it's such a hard question but I was like you know I really love to catch a thief that might have been one of my all-time you know ever um just what an incredible Hitchcock film and we had this really interesting discussion about it showed him the trailer at least he'll watch that (laughs) oh my god I feel like I feel like I'm a student all over again because as much as I thought I'd watched my husband is I feel like we all have something that where we learn something, it just commits to memory. Like there is something, doesn't have to be our job, something we are so passionate about that it just connects. For my husband, it's movies. So he jokes with me all the time. He went to film school and you haven't seen XYZ. And he, oh, no. <laughs> it is so brutal out there, honestly. I mean, there's some that it's like, I really should have. Like he showed me Dog Day Afternoon for the first time, which is an embarrassment. That's absolutely a movie I should have been shown at school. But there, I mean, there's others. Like we just watched Coffee which with Pam Greer. And I'm like, this is which so I haven't seen. I haven't. It's it's a black exploitation film that could never exist today. You'll watch it. It's it's so impossible that a movie like that gets made today. But she is such a badass and so cool and so you just oh god, there was like so much like oomph in that in that in that whole role and performance and who she is and it's fun and out there and crazy. So. Honestly, I feel like it's really exciting because I can have these experiences and just come home and he's putting on a movie. I'm like, what's this? And he's like, oh, Karina, like, how can you every night? It's what's this? (laughs) Something. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm officially a new student of film school that is Stuart Manischel. I love that. I love that. Well, we're kind of all eternal students. I mean, it's infinite, especially on the creative side as I support creatives, teach creatives, and then I'm learning from them, I'm applying it to my own writing and exploring, you know, the green growing edges of where my growth is and looking at it from those lenses of character arcs. And the truth is storytelling has changed. It's changed from the time I was a kid. You know, I grew up in that era of Knight Rider, which I loved, you know, all these 80 shows, Magnum PI and Knight Rider. And the women were eye candy and they were always you know, there were four women surrounding like the one male lead and they were always in bikinis no matter where they were. Like, I mean, okay, it's LA, it's Hawaii, but like, you know, this is an event where they maybe shouldn't be just wearing bikinis. Like, <laughs> here I am, I'm, I'm like this eight-year-old tomboy going, 
exactly know what that means about my future. Like <laughs> that's what I have to look forward. Michael Knight, though. I don't know. <laughs> he seems like he's having the most fun. He has the rad car and the watch and everything. I don't know. <laughs> so understandable though, honestly. I feel like, you know, where, where I'm always kind of like, oh, I feel like we could do better. But then now I'm going, you know, we, we are also doing better. And the type of storytelling and the type of humor that's making its way onto screen now. I mean, I feel like Black Lives Matter has really helped uh, with the type of storytelling where we're getting more conscious and aware or even woke about, oh, okay, wait, this is something we really want to put on screen. And the audiences are driving that. And that's really important that we are creating content for the living audience who's like, hi, yeah, it's 2022. And we've just all been through this pandemic. And you know, we, we want to see well, you know, stuff that really matters to us, like, and the surprises that come out of that, like this year, everything, everywhere, all at once, which just, you know, exploded and rippled and everybody loved it so much. And it was just such a ride. Uh, I think it's really cool. It's a cool time to be creating content with a little more awareness, you know, a little more curation. And then also saying, yeah, and we have this opportunity to be on the front lines of storytelling. And that's just so exciting. I can't think of anywhere else I'd rather be. No, I'm with you. It's it's interesting. On the heels of Intergalactic, one of my favorite conversations that started to come up was, oh my gosh, it's so refreshing to see a black story without trauma. And for us, it was just a black love story. I mean, there was there was you know modern love that it was as simple as that. And I think what the reaction tended to be was that you know the characters could have been me as much as they were them, and but they were them, and that was indicative of the creators and the people who were bringing their stories to the table, which the voices being Scott and Jessica Williams, and it felt so good that there was that conversation coming out of it that people okay. just thought, oh, this is refreshing to see just what it's like to be in love today, and there's no more nuance to it than that. It was really nice. And refreshing. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we've kind of seen enough of the trauma echoed through, you know, I support a lot of BIPOC creators and I know they're tired of being asked to yeah. you know, for their trauma porn. Okay, well, I got yeah. a fellowship and they need they need me to go access my trauma porn, but I'm more than that. I hear them say that a lot. I'm more than that, though. I'm more than that old story. And I feel like that is an important responsibility that we have to the audiences as well, like this type of story that you've told. I completely agree with you. And I just, I just think there's a, it, it's, it feels like a more organic reflection of today or way to uplift in this moment is to be, is to consider where we are in this moment. And that doesn't mean none of what happened before didn't exist or that it's being tossed aside or not considered. It's just, it's just in more of today's mentality or feeling or experience. So Karina, what can you share with us about what you're working on now or what's next for you? Yeah, there, there's a lot that's very close to getting announced, which is really exciting. I mean, Scott's been working on a lot of creativity himself. He wrote a pilot that we're negotiating on. He he just tweeted out that he's writing two films. So he's working on that too. We also are uh, just closed in negotiation. Another movie that's about to announce that was an idea of his. So I know that's so vague, but there's a few different things that are, are at least coming to fruition. A couple of things that have been announced that we can talk about. Um, one is one of the first things we did at, at Formation of Company was option this book by Brandon Taylor called Real Life. Did you did you happen to read it? I have not. No, tell me. I, this might be one that you really love. So Brandon is he's a black 
queer writer. This was his debut novel. And it basically all stemmed from his experience where he created this fictional character, Wallace, who was in a PhD program in a small Midwestern town with no other Black people around. And it's basically his slice of life experience, experiencing starting a relationship with a straight man who comes on to him over the course of a weekend. But the core of it and what really sung true to me in the book and something that I haven't seen before is that you have this man shackled by his success. So he's in this PhD program, but he's unhappy. But if he leaves, what's available for him? So he's a little bit stuck in this moment and also is experiencing all of the expectation from those around him that he should be grateful just to be there, just to be in the room. So it's a little bit his his experience. And for Brandon himself as an author, that was what he went through, where he was in a PhD program and wanted to write and ended up taking the leap. And obviously he landed in, with such with such expertise. I mean, stuck that landing to no end with a beautiful artistry. And he's adapting the novel himself for Scott to star. So that. that's one piece that we're, that we're developing that we're just, uh, he's so gifted. I, I can't, there's no words. He's so talented and such a deeply, deeply, deeply interesting person. So that's one. But there are others in terms of projects that we've brought in. Like as an example, there was an artist that we've all admired named Jaron Braxton, who he basically came up from Indiana uh, making music and wanted to create cool music videos and self-taught himself animation. And his animation erupted, which is stylistically so different. It's inspired by early 2000s video games and really trippy and weird. And all of a sudden that artistry brought him into very hype culture where he was showcased in Shibuya and Times Square. And his artwork was featured in the first Christie's NFT auction with Takashi Murakami. Like he's very of that ilk. Wow. So he, yeah, he approached us with his directorial debut as a feature, which we're now producing and, and developing alongside him, which again, feels like that indicative of today conversation where this is an artist who creates work that's very, I mean, avant-garde is, you know, modernist. It's so cool. It's so different. So being able to partner with somebody like that and to create a platform for their vision to showcase their artistry, it's like dead on what we want to be doing. Oh, so I love that. I love yeah. that. Very on brand for you. Very on brand. And <laughs> Oh, just a gift to get to speak to artists who are so inspiring in that way. In the same way as Brandon and some of these other creators that we've been working with and feel very reflective of Scott and the experience I've had working with him. It's been it's been a really blessed, uh, really blessed situation in the build of this company and, and the opportunities we've had to create alongside really, really spectacular people. I love that. What, what what kind of things would you be like? Oh, I wish that I could get something that's like a this. Do you have any? Have yeah. a What's your wish list? Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, I, I know we've already mentioned it, but I think Rami is my uh mm. my holy grail. And maybe that's a bit of a personal, uh, a personal choice because it's just something that I was so moved by. And so I can't even think I've never again, it's like two experiences in my life, and that's one of them. So I'll never forget what Rami did for me and the opportunity to do something like that. Oh man, wow, like wow, how cool. Um but yeah, I would say I would say that would be a great shining example. And then I go, oh gosh, it's just so repetitive. But then I go to my experience in the theater with Get Out. And if you can create something like that again, again, like, wow, oh my gosh, you did it? Like that's, so I suppose maybe again, it's, it's when I think about it in this context, I'm probably seeking 
those spectacular experiences that I've had before, rather than necessarily the material that drove it. It's it's how do we create sense of community and sense of self where I feel like there's a reflection of me or something that I see in myself in this character. It sounds like you also get excited by something we haven't seen before. Is that, yeah. that be accurate? Yeah. yeah. I, I know that's the agent in you. Yeah, it's hard not to, right? It's like, oh, this feels new. I mean, actually, what's funny is, is that what feels new in the moment, though, might not necessarily be something new. Like, I'll, I'll talk about Intergalactic again. So Intergalactic, if you, the love story is very familiar and in, in is, is strengthened by its familiarity. It's boy meets girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy recovers girl. There's like, we understand that line of what of how romance can move as like simply as anything else it's just very familiar but then we use that platform to do a lot of news so the animation style was new the marriage of a sound of of a new album to so a sonic experience to visuals was new in that way uh the voices were new the fact that fashion was embedded where the characters are changing their clothing all designed by Virgil Abloh was new so there's a lot of new but that familiar storytelling in its own way a allowed created a vehicle for all of those things to shine but b in its own way even though it's familiar is new in this moment because we're not telling love stories out of the U.S. right now you if you want to hear a love story you're going to Korean dramas because you're just not it's not a, a an obvious in terms of where content is going so weirdly even the most nostalgic part of our show was new that's fascinating that's really fascinating and I'm curious your perspective on that because I feel like you know from my time in the saddle as a development exec there's really just kind of those those opposite perspectives in the industry of like, oh, it's new, I'm so excited, or ooh, it hasn't been done before, I don't think so, or, you know, we already have Rami, so why would we need, yeah. a, you know, a, a woman Mina show, because yeah. we have Rami, you know, there's that sort of dual perspective, so what do you think about getting through those naysayers who are not sitting on this side of the table that you are? It's <laughs> a great, that's a great question. I feel like the, and the business right now has been, even since my days at the agency has changed a lot, where at the agency, you would constantly hear, oh, we're in a bidding war. We're, oh, we're in a bidding war. Oh, everybody wants this. Oh, everybody's bidding in. And I feel like right now, it's not a bidding war. Right now, it's often one for one, or maybe you get a couple offers, but one is amazing and others are nowhere near what the former is. So I feel like right now is a little bit about finding your partner because I do feel there's so much, there's so many players. So if an idea bears fruit, there has to be a place for it. It just, it just, I, not to say that, oh, if you don't, if you don't, you know, get it sold, your idea didn't bear fruit, but I just mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's, there's a window right now where there, there are ways to get around the no. Yeah, I love that. And again, your optimism. Uh, yeah, yeah, again, I'm sorry. I'm so glad. Oh, oh my God, don't apologize for that. It's a breath of uh, it's a breath of fresh air, you know, for me, for for everyone listening, because it can be oppressive and confusing, you know, penetrating this industry. And a lot of people, especially the new writers who I support, 
you know, it's all the obsession with breaking in, but they don't realize it's like, okay, it's breaking in, but it's also staying in. It's becoming the caretaker of your own voice and relevancy and staying in touch with the changing culture. I remember working for Gary Shandling when I came in to work for him, I was 30 and he was 57. And, you know, walking in through the front door and he's got Beck blaring through the speakers and he's like, oh, come on in, Kaya. And we, for some of our early conversations in his house in, in, the, in that time, and I start to very quickly realize that the man is infinitely more cool and hip than I am. And I'm going, I'm like the young one, but like, he's so cool. He's so hip. And he was so like, he was a student of the culture of the moment of the now, the comedian and him, of course, you know, always observing, but staying on the edge of like, where is it right now? And tracking that edge is something I encourage my students to do. Cause it's like, you kind of, it's almost like if you've ever sang in a chorus, you want to come in at the right note, you got to know where everybody else is on their song sheet so that you know your part to play and you're not out of step with it by the time you're getting that opportunity to share your voice. I think it's such good advice, honestly. And it's 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 a it's a hard thing to do, also considering how much volume there is again, because it's well, how can all of these things then exist at once and where do I fit into it? But I think I think there there is room to figure out what again it goes back to who am I? What are the like what is my voice? What why am I telling this story? Like where do I come from and where do I fit into all of this? And all of that specificity in a in that ever-changing world. And like you're trying to tap into that cultural moment, uh, the cultural heartbeat of this moment. It, it it's it is possible. It's not easy, but it's very possible. I love that. You're um you have such an interesting vantage point you know, with your experience and where you've been and what you see. I'm curious what you would suggest for the above the line creatives who are listening. What what, what advice do you have for them about pursuing their own passions and careers? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I was actually talking to Stuart about this today, you know, just coming out of SCAD and some of the conversations that we've had with a, a lot of the students. And part of the advice uh, which he helped me craft is, is if it was a writer as an example, write, 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 but also put yourself in a situation where you can read. Because by reading scripts, you're you're really getting an understanding of what out, what's out there, what are people looking for, how does the business work, why are reactions happening the way that they're happening, et cetera. So whether that meant an agency, a management company, a production company, a writer's assistant, whatever it is, you put yourself in a situation where you can also be the student while you're creating yourself. So for me, that felt like really good advice because you're creating a platform of connectivity and understanding that co coalesces with all of the things that you want to build. You know, and I, I appreciated that too, because I remember when I graduated from Chapman and you know, coming out of there, I knew I wanted to be at an agency, which was specifically because of the professor at Chapman, who same as Harry Upland, and he was an old school William Morris agency agent in the New York office. He's like, I used to play Marty Scorsese's Cab Fair from based on his student film to come to the office. And like, then it was me and Robert De Niro. I mean, it was like the coolest stories you've ever heard in your life. And we're talking to the film kid in me who was like making gangster films, thinking like that was going to be <laughs> my skill set, no chance. But in talking to him and explaining to him, I've been interning at these production companies and I want something broader where it's not you're reading what this company will produce for this place they have a deal with. I really wanted to understand the business. And he said, go to an agency. And that's where you're at the center of everything and you're exposed to all of it. And for me, that was 
the best situation because uh, me, the type A was like, oh, I get it. Here's my start date. Here's my ladder. I know these are the steps on the rung and I know how to come up. But then I graduated with all of these creatives and it's there's no indication tomorrow is going to be any better today or what the start line is or what's the progress line or how am I going to make it? And that is so daunting and that is so scary and that is really complex to look inside of. And I think not to say that the corporate structure is the only way to create a future within this business. And certainly so much is merited through your own creativity, your own what you're building. Festivals are such a place to play. I mean, there is there are avenues that exist, but I do think that combination of corporate and creative can be a really great entry point. So that way you're getting exposure and understanding of how the world works. I love that too, because of course you're, you're um, after my own heart and talking about how you're learning how the business works because it is a business. And I love the suggestion of doing a lot of reading because then you really start to understand and grok what is selling, what's good, what your taste is and what you're resonating toward and going, oh, you know, this is really my foray. Um, I'm really enjoying producing now coming out of being a development exec and going, oh, look, you know, I'm going to get to sort, sort through all these scripts. <laughs> And, and trying to pay attention to like, okay, well, if I didn't like that one, why? And noticing, you know, the evolution of my taste or, and then also what direction I feel like we should be heading in as a team together or what my team would like, because I might not necessarily totally resonate with the script, but if it's like for me, 80% there, and I know it's really going to be there for my team, I'm like, Hey, let's bring this in. Let's discuss it. Let's meet the writer. Mm -hmm. um, and I love all of that conversation. I think it's like the happiest thing in the world to me, because no matter how, old writer is to pick up the phone and place the call of like, Hey, I, I read your script and I really love it. Let's talk about it. Like the, um, the enthusiasm, the elation, the happiness that comes through on the other end of the phone. I and mean, that's like one of the best things ever. I try to read a, a couple scripts a, re a week just to, so that hopefully there's an opportunity I get to make one of those calls because boy, is that a feel good speaking of feel goods. Yeah, no, it's true. I I remember when I was starting at WME and while I was in the mailroom, there were a few things that I did. One was seek agents whose taste I really loved or client lists I responded to and ask them what their favorite script was they're reading and just read and talk to them about it because that, that was important to me. The other was I used to read a lot of scripts for movies I had seen or movies I hadn't seen and start comparing how the script in the movie matched my my uh, imagination or detracted or how did one get to the other. And Love that exercise. Love yeah, it. They had, they had, I mean, you can find so many of them online too, but they just had every script available in their library. So yeah. there were some really unique experiences and things that were very unexpected just by going through that practice and things that were made and why. So... I think I think being the student is a really valuable experience. And again, that's something you could do without being in a corporate setting or finding your way to. Um, but within the corporate setting, there's a lot of room for it too. And I think the other thing is also, I think we sometimes forget, maybe because of our uh, shyness or, you know, I don't want to bother that person or that little side of our brain that keeps talking that people- I don't think have that side. Yeah, I, I don't people. She's like, I know people who have that side. Though. People are like that, but um, people love being acknowledged for their work. So I feel if you know, coming up, if you feel strongly about loving something, something that somebody has done, and share that with them. I would say more times than not, you're going to get a response that matches the energy that you gave, because it's not so often that we hear acknowledgement of the things that we did. And it really does 
that is so warming. So another thing that I would encourage is those moments of being able to offer feedback for things that really matter to you. I love that you said that so much. I know of a couple of writers for whom they got their first staffing job because they were sitting opposite a showrunner whose career they admired so much that they were that's the reason they got into the industry in the first place. They're sitting opposite one of their heroes and they found the moment of courage to really just express that in a very true way, in an honoring way of like, you're the reason I'm in this business because I love your work so much and, and thank you. Whatever comes out of this meeting, I just want to say thank you because I had this opportunity to sit with you face to face. And then a couple of those people like we like went on to go have those jobs and get to be mentored by and learn from their heroes, you know, for the reason that they got into the industry. And it, it is wild, I guess, for people coming in, not to realize like your, your own family might not watch your show or your episode, <laughs> you know, and millions of people could watch your show, or your episode, you hope that they do, but that doesn't mean that your phone's going to blow up. That doesn't mean you're going to get a million emails. That doesn't mean you're going to know what they thought or how it went. You know, you kind of got to go take the temperature with the trades or wherever else you're getting that feedback. So it does become so meaningful because it's not a live audience of a theater where you hear the audience laughing at the jokes and things where you, you know, someone says, Hey, I, I loved that character. You know, that got me through high school. If you're talking to Judd Apatow, Freaks and Geeks, or, you know, whoever else you're in front of and connecting. And this is such a small industry at the end of the day. It's like this little we think of it with the hall of mirrors it ripples so big but like it's kind of boutique and you get to see some of the same faces and connect and um and then it's meaningful you know then it's meaningful gosh i i, I love that story because that's that's the hope that that continues to happen it's it's we should resonate with those who have resonated with us it should just be you know so much freedom to create alongside one another i i love that and i i really believe in that i really believe that 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 mean it's just so meaningful it it hits you right in your heart that somebody could care that much about an art form that so much of it feels like you're doing it in a vacuum so for it to break waves with an individual and in their experience it's just I mean what a dream right it was it's meaningful and then it's fun yeah like oh this brought the fun element you know in for me and like that joy yeah. uh where people get uh, nervous or scared or there's there can be a sense of oh do is there going to be enough for me and when you kind of like let that go and really get into your joy and into your fun and like oh I'm going to make it awesome for you and for us and then like those are the people who you want to have in your circle who are like oh this this collaboration became so joyful and now I feel like you know you'd seeing the vision of where that can go becomes really exciting uh, to all the collaborators I totally agree Totally agree. Well, um, Karina, having you on the show has been amazing. I love your energy so much. Speaking of joyful, boy, thanks for bringing me the, the joy today. Bring all of us the joy today with your experience and everything that you've shared, what you're working on. We're so happy for you. Where can people find you? I, well, I guess I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Please feel free. Uh, my Twitter is Karina Manishal. My uh, Instagram is Lion Karina, which is kind of funny, but at WME, I've got big curly hair. So they used to call me Lion and that just evolved. Um, <laughs> it has not changed. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, please, please feel free to find me. I would be so happy to meet some of you. Oh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me and talk about Joyful. I had the most wonderful experience. You are such a light. 
and what you do is so so cool so thank you for including me in it oh thank you thanks for the kind acknowledgement much appreciated Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report How to Pitch Anything in One Minute at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.